Welcome to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my very special guest this week, Maria Hatzistafanis, beauty entrepreneur, businesswoman, best-selling author, speaker, mentor, podcast host, and now Dragon's Den investor. Yes, she has just got the nod to become a Dragon's Den investor on the Greek franchise of the BBC TV show. So Maria founded her grand breaking skincare group Rodial in 1999 by identifying a niche for treatments targeted to specific skin concerns. With a growing global beauty empire, her results-orientated products excite with evocative tongue-in-cheek names such as Dragon's Blood and Snake Serum. There are two brands, Rodial and Nip and Fab, sold through 20,000 doors across 35 countries worldwide, including Saks, Fifth Avenue, Space NK, Harvey Nichols and Harrods or high-profile celebrities such as Kylie Jenner and Sophia Ritchie fronting her brand's campaigns. Now, Maria is also a patron of the British Fashion Council and is heavily involved in working alongside the BFC to support and promote young, emerging talent and promoting British fashion. Maria is author of best-selling books, How to Be an Overnight Success and How to Make It Happen, and hosts her own podcast show, Overnight Success, both of which I highly recommend. Now, I visited Maria at Rodial's London HQ in Chelsea, where we proceeded to talk about podcasts, especially each other's, before remembering the interview and finding out about the secrets to her success. Now, following the interview and laden with beauty products from my wife and two teenage daughters, we reconnected on Clubhouse in 2020 and became friends, co-hosting many digital events together, and I hosted her again on this show too. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. If you don't know who Maria is, or you don't know who Rodiel is, it's amazing where she's come from in 1999 to now having a $100 million beauty brand. So, screw it, just do it. Maria Hatzistafanis. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Just before you listen to this week's episode, I want to ask you, have you ever thought of launching your own podcast? If you have, then I've got a free podcast launch checklist. You just need to click the link in the description of the show and it will take you to where you just enter your email and we'll send you a copy of that free podcast launch checklist. If you want to launch it sooner and with help, then if you didn't know, I run a podcast agency called Podpreneur. We'd love to help you take the stresses and strains from launching your own podcast. We've been doing this for years. Get in touch. DM me, alex at podpreneur.co.uk. Now, on to the show.
And on today's show, I welcome entrepreneur, businesswoman, mentor, best-selling author, and fellow podcast host, Maria Hatsistafanis. Maria founded a groundbreaking skincare group, Rodial, in 1999 by identifying a niche for treatments targeted to specific skin concerns. Her growing global beauty empire includes two brands, Rodial plus Nip and Fab, is sold through 20,000 doors across 35 countries through the likes of Harrods, Harvey Nichols, and Saks Fifth Avenue. Her products have evocative of names such as Dragon's Blood and Snake Serum, and as high-profile celebrities such as Kylie Jenner and Sophia Ritchie fronting the brand's campaigns. Maria is a patron of the British Fashion Council and is heavily involved in supporting and promoting young emerging talent and promoting British fashion. If you're one of her near 1 million followers on Instagram at Mrs. Rodial, you can see where this passion comes from. Maria is also known for her mentoring and entrepreneurial guidance, where most recently she was a judge for the BFC Vogue Fashion Fund, as well as guest appearances as a mentor on US fashion series Project Runway. As a highly successful businesswoman, she's become a respected and sought-after opinion leader and is increasingly in demand to speak at fashion and business conferences. She's also the author of the best-selling book, How to Be an Overnight Success, and hosts her own podcast show, Overnight Success, both of which I highly, highly recommend. I met up with Maria at her Rodeo HQ in London, where after talking about podcasts for nigh on half an hour, we dive straight into her journey as an entrepreneur and the reasons behind her incredible success. Let's start up. So, as Rodeal is now, a $90 million business with products in 35 countries. But back in 1999, when you started, what did you know about starting a business and what did you know about developing beauty products? Nothing. <laughs> Let's take a step back on where everything started. I was always passionate about fashion and beauty. My first job was a writer for Seventeen magazine back in Greece, where I'm from. And I did a bit of beauty writing there. I did that for a year, but I felt I, I needed to learn more about business. So I moved on and, and started a business degree. When I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And of all places, I ended up in banking. I did that for a year. It was very frustrating because everyone else was reading the Financial Times and I was reading Vogue. So I really didn't fit in in that culture. Then one day I got called into the boardroom and I got fired. And you know what? I was devastated, but this was the best thing that ever happened to me. It made me realize that banking and finance wasn't the right career for me. And that's when I decided to start my own business. Now, what's very ironic is the first thing when you start a business, is it's all about financing. How are you going to finance it? And coming from a finance background, I thought that would be the easiest thing. So I go, I go on Google, 20, I find 20 VCs and I send everyone emails. I get eight responses back. I have three meetings and I get zero investment. So here I am, an ex-banker, not yeah. being able to get financing. But then I had this conversation with, with, with my husband and he said, well, why don't you start small? You don't have to go big. Start from a back room at home. You have some savings. You'll be based at home. You won't need to pay rent or employees and just see where you can go. So it all started really small from a back room at home and all self-financed. All self-financed. Yeah. And just you, no co-founder? Um, it was just me. My husband has always been a co-owner of the business, okay. uh, but he didn't really get involved up until five years ago when he's, he's now the CFO. So he, okay. he, he joined at the end. He's all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what were the kind of first steps that you did then for actual creating the beauty products themselves? 
Um, so what I, I really knew was what is the gap in the market that I'm trying to fill? I was mm. very clear about that. I was very specific. And I saw there was a gap for a skincare range that would offer targeted treatments to specific skin concerns from fine lines around the eyes to dark circles to pigmentation. I wanted specific solutions. So what I did was found a number of trade shows that were specializing in beauty. There's one in Italy in Bologna called Cosmoprof. That's the biggest cosmetics trade show. And I went there and I spent two days walking around and visiting every single stand, trying to find a lab, a contact manufacturer, packaging suppliers, packaging designers. So within 48 hours, I pretty much got probably 100 business cards and lots of follow-up to do, but I got a lot of contacts, a lot of resources, and that was really the starting point. Okay. And very different these days when you're trying to find a distribution channel for your business. Back then, just retail, I'm assuming. Yes. And how did you get your products in the first shop, so to speak? So the first, um, um, the first shop I got my products in was Phoenix in Bond Street. Now, not coming from a beauty background, I I was a little bit naive. I thought that I will come up with some beautiful products, I will go to the store, they will see how amazing they were, and they will give me lots of space. Well, it doesn't really work like that. There's other brands, there's competition, you need to prove yourself, all that. But I did manage, that was probably a year and a half into starting the business. I went to this meeting with, with a buyer at, at Phoenix, and I think she felt sorry for me. <laughs> I was at the point <laughs> I was really begging for something. And she said, I'm going to give you a tiny shelf about sort of 20 centimeters you can put four products in there you have six months to make it work or you're out so what i did to make sure that it worked i i would go to the store um work on the business monday to friday and every saturday i would go to the store to sell my products and i had to do this every single saturday and yeah you you just have to put a lot of work and and i had to do everything one woman show yeah and and how, how long did it take you to start getting some traction building a bit of momentum with the sales we got some sales from from phoenix and and that really worked out really well and then it was all about just growing the business and trying to get into more retailers i mean it's interesting because a lot of people ask me how long does it take for a business to become established and i think that you need anything between two to five years to be legit okay and what was the first hire you made then in the business? It was just you doing absolutely everything. What was the first thing that you thought, I actually want to outsource this part of the business? Two things. Uh, the first thing that I did, and that was pretty much within a month of starting the business, I hired a part-time accountant yeah. and she she would come to my home office once a month to do the books because I knew I'm, I'm in no position to be doing account right now. So that was the first thing. And then the second person I brought in who was actually transformational for my business, and I brought her in even before I could afford her, was a sales manager. And I brought in a sales manager the minute that we, we hit Phoenix. 
even though I knew that we didn't have the volume of stores to justify a sales manager, I did take that risk in bringing someone on board thinking this person can come in and not just manage this one store that we have, but help me grow the business and open more doors. And in general, with the business, every time I bring in the right people, that's when I see that we can scale up and we can grow. It's all down to people. And have you found that difficult, the hiring process? It's a learning curve, the hiring process. I've become better with time and I I can very quickly scan through a CV and look for red flags and and equally find someone who I can feel can come and be passionate and be loyal to the business. But it's always it's always a trial and error. There's a lot of people who interview really well. And then when they start, you're like, what just happened? (laughs) Different person. (laughs) Different person. It's, it's, it's a process. And I feel that anyone who's an entrepreneur out there interviewing and hiring and, and putting the teams together, it's something that you can just not delegate. You have to be involved 100% because it's your company, it's your culture. You need to make sure that the team around you has the same vision. They're, they will be supportive because, you know, in a business, you have good times and bad times. And yeah. if the team is right, if the team has the same passion as you are, you can go through challenges and and, and get on the other side. Yeah. So team is everything. Do you still have involvement hiring at the moment? I am. Yes. Yeah. When it comes to senior people, yeah. I sit through all the interviews, but even for a junior person, an admin person, I would pop in for five minutes really? just for a quick hello yeah. and just to support my team. But mm. I do see, I would say 90% of the people we hire, I see them even for five minutes. I'm interested to know when you started, was your vision at the time as big as Radio is now? Could you imagine it? No. I have to say that my vision only goes as far as 12 months. That's okay. all I can see. Re- one of the key reasons is we're still a private company. So we're not swimming in cash to be able to say, we're going to open 50 new stores this year. We're going to do X, Y, Z or hire another 100 people. We have a very specific budget we need to work with. And having this budget, what I can do is look at the next 12 months. This is something I've done even from day one. So when I started, we had one store and I said, what is my goal for the next 12 months? I want to open three more wholesale stores here in London, and I want to increase my team by three people. I want to do X amount of revenue. This is what I could do. This is the budget that I had. I drove the business and pretty much every year we achieved more or less what the target was. And the next year it would be, okay, now we're going to expand and open two more countries. And every year we go like that. So in a way, if I look back, I never thought Rodial would be where it is today. But I also, even now, I don't want to think where we'll be 10 years from now. I'm more about where we're going to be 12 months from now. Yeah. And how many countries are you in now, to say? We are in um, 35 countries. Sorry to interrupt your listening to this episode, but we need you to vote. It's that time of year again. It's one of my favourite times of year. We count down the top 10 most requested episodes of this year, i.e. your favorites, okay? All you need to do is click on the link in this description for this episode and vote for your favorite episode of 2022. Then just before 2023, we're going to count down your top 10 most favorite episodes and announce the winner. Who's going to be number one? We've been doing this for a few years now. I love it. So 
We've had some old favourites, people like Piers Linney, Magnus Grimmeland, Sabrina Stocker, Brendan Kane, and we've had some amazing online and in-person interviews. Way too many for me to list through here, but some of my personal favourites would definitely be meeting John Cordwell at the most expensive house in London, the former Phones for You billionaire, uh, meeting Seedlips Ben Branson, something I've wanted to do for years, Matthew Mills, the husband and CEO of Deliciously Ella, and then also for that, I would also say Simon Leslie from Inc. Media, the onboard media business. So a whole load of others I could recommend, but this is about you, your favorite. So click the link, vote, and come back and listen to the rest of this episode. And is that 35 physical stores in those countries or through like concessions? Right. So it's um, the way that um, it works a lot with the beauty industry is you can run your own business in one country or you can go through a distributor. A lot of what happens in the beauty industry goes through distributors when it comes to international. And this is the model that we have selected ourselves. So that means that you have, um, let's take Italy, for example, there is a distributor there in Italy. And what we do is we sell them the product. The margins are much lower for us. So it, it could go up to 80, 85% margins, which are quite high. But then that means that they do all the work. So they buy the product from you, they take it to the stores, they promote it, they sell it, they do the PR, they deal with any issues there locally, they do the training. And that means that all the money that you get from this distributor is profit. You have no risk. Mm -hmm. So this is a great way for a company to grow because you know that the risk is very limited when you have a distributor. Now, it's not all perfect because when you have a distributor, you can't really drive the business the way that you would have driven it it if it was yours. Mm -hmm. So it has the pros and cons, but especially in countries that you don't speak the same language or it's a different culture, it makes sense to go with a distributor. And what did you do with Greece? Uh, one we, of the first countries? Uh, it, it was one of the first countries, and we do have a distributor there as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're just interested in like, different industry. We're chatting to Ted Baker founder, Ray Kelvin, and him saying that he thought they'd survived what's happened to a lot of the high street because everybody thought they owned hundreds of stores, but they literally owned something like about 13 Okay. Just concessions inside other stores. Okay. Instead of being like highly leveraged in that regards, I think this year has been the first year that they've actually felt that, but that probably for a variety of reasons mm. that's uh, made their way into the press. And I read that getting into Harvey Nicks was the first big break you got, and then the launch of the snake serum took your business to the next level. What steps did it take you to get into Harvey Nichols to start yeah. with? Because a lot of people want to know that. <laughs> yeah, it was always my dream to get my products into Harvey Nichols. It was the minute I started the business, I wanted my products there. Right. Now, what I did, here I am in my little office. I prepared a box, a box of products, handwritten note. I sent it to them. Next day, I follow up with an email. I don't hear back. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, calling. I'm not getting any response. Am I disappointed? Yes. 
But anyway, I, I just, I didn't want to take it personally, gave it some time. And what I wanted to do is, is collect a little bit more of um, some of the press that we did, some of the articles, uh, develop the range and went back to them again a year later. So the same beautiful box, more products, a beautiful press portfolio, a handwritten card, email them. This year I get a response. And they're saying, oh, thank you for your products. We love them. Unfortunately, we don't have space for you this year. So to cut the long story short, this kept on happening. And I was sending the products every year, all the updates, all the excitement. Year seven, I get the response. Thank you for sending us your products. We would like to meet you. I could not believe it. So I went in, we had a meeting, they loved the products. Again, they gave me a small amount of space and six months to prove myself. That's always the standard. You have six Six months. months. So got my resources. I went there selling. By that time, I did have a slightly bigger team. So I was able to afford having full-time staff to go and promote the product. And what's really interesting with this account is I was hustling for seven years to get a little shelf. And we put so much work into this account that this actually became our first flagship counter five years later. And and this is the, the first ever counter that we've ever launched in the world. And I'm very, very proud of that because yeah, it nice. was a lot of hustle, a lot of hard work. And you know what? Throughout my career, I always, I welcome no's. When people tell me, no, you can't do this, I want to work so much harder to turn that no into a yes. So that no that I was getting from Harvey Nicks was really driving me to be better, to get better, improve my products, get more press, get more buzz and and be at a place that they really want me. You sound quite driven. I am, yeah. And determined. Um, And and what was different about the the launch you did for the snake serum that made it such a success it must have been a combination of factors not just one thing i'm assuming mm. that was it was different can you put your finger on it there yeah well it was uh it was year five of running the business we were in in our first tiny office i had a couple of employees the business was doing fine i i didn't know where the business was going actually it was doing fine it wasn't doing great And we needed something. We needed something to give me the faith that I'm doing the right thing. So I get this brown box from the lab. We were going to launch our first ever anti-aging serum. So I opened the box. Here's a sample. I tried the sample. Really good. We had the sample packaging and it it said anti-aging serum. And I was like, oh my God, are we going to compete with the Estee Lauders and the Lancomes? It's another anti-aging serum. Mm. What is there for us to say? How is this different? I go through the list of ingredients and one of the ingredients related to Viper Venom. So I say, let's just call the product snake serum. My team was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, you're going to take us out of business. This is crazy. But we went with it. We capitalized on the name. We did a photo shoot with snakes. We put together some brochures. Back in the day, we had brochures and we went all in with it. Within a week, the product became viral. We started getting calls from all over the world. We were setting pallets of products, opening new markets, crazy. And that was one of the pivotal moments in the business. I think if we didn't take the risk to name the product Snake Serum and we named it Anti-Aging Serum, we may have gone out of business by now. Really? I honestly think this is the product that put us on the map. And it it was a big risk. Mm. I mean, who calls a product snake serum? Yeah, absolutely. Come back and bite you. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of my wife has got the products and I'm trying to remember the name of the lady who in business with the bee sting facials. Mm -hmm. I think, well, that's called. Um, And just the fact that that differentiated her product so much from, from every other 
facial that was out there. Yeah. That automatically from a market, it's a marketer's dream to have something to then take, yeah. take that to the market. Do you still look to solve problems or just look to improve what's already out there? Has everything been invented? <laughs> yeah, no, that is, uh, that is a good question. And we've had lots of conversations here in the business of where do we go with our new product development? And one of the things that I do is I look at it as a consumer. I'm, I'm very different to a lot of other beauty company founders because I am not a makeup artist. And so I come into this business from a point of view of a consumer, have a very different point of view. So if there's a product that I need, and I feel I'm missing, I create it. As a business, we probably come up for Rodia with about 50 product ideas. We take them all, we run them through, we get the samples, get the packaging. And a couple of months before the launch, we look at it again. Are we excited about the product? Is it filling a gap? If this was in the market, we go all go out there and buy it. If the answer is yes, we launch it. We have dropped products two months before the launch because they just didn't feel exciting. They didn't feel they were doing anything. Uh, But I also, especially over the last couple of years, I'm, I'm very conscious about creating products that women and men can use for many years to come. I'm very much opposed to everything that's about fast fashion and fast beauty and launching thousands of products every year, all trend-led and waiting to see what sticks. Uh, For me, it's all about quality. And we're at a point, people don't need a lot. And I want to make sure everything we launch has a place. It has been created with a lot of passion, love and excitement from our team. And it solves a problem. So we've become a lot more selective recently. And I I saw, I think it might have been on your Insta story. Again, I don't know how long ago you launched it, but the CBD drops. featured quite a lot yeah last week so it's uh, it's it's brand new it's a brand new product funny that you mentioned this because the excitement that we've had with cbd we haven't had this excitement since since snake serum wow interesting Um, we've sold out three times in selfridges within the first day of launching and i cannot say this for a lot of the other products that we've launched over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. and it's it's been it's been a crazy hit the yeah. right product, the right time. The right product, the right time, the right mm. positioning. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's. I do think that it's CBD. Yes, there is a, a trend story going on with CBD right now, but I, I do strongly believe in the product and I think CBD will become the next classic. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And correct me if I'm wrong again, you manage your... Do you manage your, is it the Mrs. Rodeo channel yourself on social? Yes. So we have two different channels. We have the Rodeal Beauty that my team manages. The Mrs. Rodeal channel on Instagram, I manage it myself. And it's it's a platform that takes me away from beauty in a way. If you look at it, there's not a lot of beauty. You won't see or me fashion. doing beauty tutorials. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's, um, I'm, I'm really passionate about design and fashion and and. It, it seems to resonate with the group of the community that I've created there. And they come to me more for fashion than anything else. But I was really adamant that I don't want to use my platform to push product all the time. Yeah. There will be, if, if I'm excited about something, if we're doing a launch, but you're not going to see a series of beauty products all over because that's I, it's not a way to connect with with our audience out there. It's, mm-hmm. You need something deeper. You need something where you give value and, and you give inspiration and it, it goes away and it's, it's, it's much bigger than the product. And do you think that's a similar audience who would go and read your book, listen to your podcast? I definitely think it's it's the audience that would read the book and listen to the podcast. They could be curious and interested about the product and it's fine, but that's not the aim. 
Okay, so that's cool. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about where the inspiration came for your book and also for the podcast being obviously a podcaster myself. I'm very interested to know uh, your experience. Okay, so for the book, over the last few years, I've been through certain very challenging situations at work, whether it's dealing with my team, whether it's launching a new product and everything falling apart the day before the launch or working with certain celebrities like with with work with Kylie Jenner a couple of times and and we had some um, ups and downs until we got there. So every time something crazy happened, I would write down about it. It it made me reassess the situation. And then I would put down a list of lessons learned and how I would have dealt with that scenario if this was to happen again. So I started writing random pieces of I don't know, it was kind of a therapy, I guess. And after I, I put together a bunch of them, I thought, mm, you know, this could be this could be good as a book. So I put a storyline together and that's where the book came came about. Yeah. It wasn't planned. It wasn't something that I had in my mind that I would ever do. I never thought I would be an author. So I've done the book. And what was interesting is the so the book is called How to Be an Overnight Success. Following the book, I started getting a lot of follow-up questions on Instagram. Can you give us some more tips or can you go into a bit more depth into that chapter of your book or we have follow-up questions? And I thought, how can I better communicate with with my audience and moving away from just a comment on Instagram. I've been a fan on podcasts for a while. I'm a fan of your podcast, as you know. And I thought, let me get on this platform. And and what I wanted to do is I've done 30 episodes. I've done a season one that uh, starts some of the topics from the book and takes them a little bit deeper. And it, it's a little bit more of an interactive platform. So as I was getting all the feedback on Instagram, I was coming up with the episode. And that was a very exciting process so we've done season one and i will be working on season two for next year and you've and you've mixed it up i see as well because i see you've got like q a episodes and then you've got your interviews that we're talking about like makeup artists exactly very much like what you do so i've i had some amazing people that i've met over the last few years that i felt they had a lot to share about their journey of how they became successful and i've complemented that with some solo episodes where i talk about a specific subject that was of interest to me at that time or based on some Instagram feedback. And it's it's a nice combination of guests and solo episodes. Yeah, I, I agree. And just to finish up then, best way that people connect with you, would it be through the Instagram channel? Yes, well, I'm on Mrs. Rodial on Instagram. I've also started working LinkedIn and Twitter. I I've had, that. Yeah, and I've had <laughs> this crazy thing happen to me that my account on Instagram got hacked about a month ago and I didn't have access to my Instagram for 48 hours. And then at that point, I thought, you know what? We're putting all our eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. I really need to start diversifying. And I'm in the process of exploring LinkedIn and and Twitter. And I feel we should all be looking at various social media channels rather than focus on one and just tap into different audiences. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Instead of like a private company like a Facebook or Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, you know, literally owning all of those followers. That's scary. Which is scary. scary. Whereas podcasts, you think you've got them across 15 different platforms from Spotify Mm. to iTunes, it just makes total sense. So it sounds like you're doing the right thing. Well, yeah, we've connected on LinkedIn and I I enjoy your posts and I will hopefully I'll, I'll learn a lot from you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd like to reach our audience, you'd like to become a sponsor of the show, then please get in touch. 
email alex at podpreneur.co.uk. We've had some amazing sponsors over the years, the likes of Virgin Atlantic Airways, Barclays Bank, FreshBooks, Wholesup, Manscape, Be The Business, a whole host of fantastic sponsors who've reached our audience with their message. If you'd like to do the same, then please get in touch as soon as possible. Email alex at podpreneur.co.uk. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. 